Hello, and welcome to who? Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> probably have to cut that bit out. I no, suppose. mate, keep Can that I just bit. keep that in? That's the best bit. Hello and welcome to Willosophy. I'm Will Anderson, uh, the host of the podcast, and uh, my guest is uh, who? Wh- who are you? I am. I mean, spiritually, that's a different question. But I am Felicity Ward. Mm-hmm. And oh, you mean bigger? I don't necessarily mean anything, Felicity. I just said I would ask you two questions: one you knew, and one you would know how to answer. Right. That's the one you know how to answer. Apparently, I don't. Well, I just want to hear what people say when I say, "Who are you?" Who am I? Because that's a big question. I think that's a very for me, that's a very loaded question. Okay. See, well, that's interesting in itself, I think. Because if some people, it is just, well, yeah, I'm Felicity Ward. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, next question. Yeah. What's your other question? This podcast will be done in three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, it's, I mean, it's great. Um, it's a quick listen, if nothing else. <laughs> She's right to the point, Felicity. Yeah, yeah. That's what I like about her. <laughs> Didn't bug her around. Didn't have to listen to 45 minutes of Will Waffling to get the good shit. Nope. Straight in. Felicity Ward, comedian. What's your next question? Answer that out the door. So do you, do you find that idea of identity? or the question who are you you do find that a big question I find it a big question because if someone asks you who you are in then you need to know who you are and that takes time so how would you normally describe that if somebody says to you who are you where would you normally start by answering that question I mean in the context of this I would say I'm Felicity Ward I'm a comedian Um, I am Australian I live in London Uh, they're like the base the base questions of geography occupation um a woman, um, but then who am I, the actual question. Right. That's when I, who am I to me says, what are your values? What do you believe in? Do you live by how you believe? Okay, good question. So I, I, I may not even be necessary in this podcast. If you could keep just asking yourself those excellent questions, they're heaps better than any questions I've ever asked on the podcast. So let's just run through those. <laughs> I remember doing an interview once and I kept adding footnotes. He's like, you know, you don't have to qualify everything. I'm like, if this was a choice, I wouldn't do it, mate. (laughs) I am in constant conversation with myself. Okay. Well, that's interesting in itself. So are you constantly asking yourself those sort of questions? Yeah, I suppose um, what – so I have anxiety and depression um, at varying degrees and what anxiety does is like a constant negative – uh, presence and sometimes it's very quiet you can't hear it at all and then sometimes it's incredibly loud and it's difficult to, to distinguish the truth from that or sometimes it's easier to believe the anxiety even though you know it's not the truth you're like oh but I know that voice I know that one um, so over many many years and I don't drink anymore and I was very sad at the end of my drinking so I have been on somewhat of a spiritual quest I would I would suppose which is an ongoing thing which helps me be at peace with myself so when you ask who are you that's what I start to reflect on okay that's really cool I like it let's get the philosophy thing out of the way because we already have like five or six things that I really want to talk to you about that we've got to so uh do you have a philosophy like uh, to anything like it doesn't have to be a big one or but do you have like a a motto or a mantra or like a, a prism through which you do kind of view your life or work or love or any of those things um I was trying to explain um because it's 
back to spirituality again. I've, I mean, we've gone very deep, very quick. The, that, is, that's what this podcast is, Felicity. You've only God. you've only ever done my knob joke funny podcast <laughs> where we just talk about superhero movies and make and dick avocado jokes and, and shit. the right way to cut it. Exactly, like the, all the important issues. This yeah. is one we get really deep. That was actually a very valid conversation. Oh, yeah, don't get me wrong. We if got a lot of attention out, on that one. Yeah, if you want some tips on how you should eat avocado on toast, we do have a podcast for you. Absolutely. Uh, but today, um, I, I do want to talk about these things because I think these are interesting things to talk about. This so, is all I want to talk about. Like genuinely in life, it's all I want to talk about. Why do you, why do you think I started this fucking podcast? Oh my God. I did an interview with, do you know Car- Car- Caroline Tran? Oh, on, of course I do. I worked, at, I worked at Triple J of w- course. with Caroline Tram. Yes. Yeah. So we did an interview the other day about um, you had to pick the song or an album that had a profound effect on you and why it had an effect. Brilliant. Love and it. And, mate, we went deep shit. What did you pick? Uh, I picked, strangely, I picked um, Lauren Hill's MTV 2.0 Unplugged album. I, I get that. Because A, I think that, okay, here's, I'm going to guess about some things and then you tell me how like right or wrong I right. am in this. Um, firstly, just amazing musicianship. Correct. Like the skill of her as like a, a as a performer in that Vocalist, special. rapper, like poet. And doing things, I think, at the time that not a lot of women, specifically solo women coming out of there. And she come out of like a pretty big like pop group because this is post-Fuji's, isn't it? This is post-Fuji's and post her enormous debut and still only album, only ever solo album. Right, that's right. And yeah, yeah and... But she kind of gone not like it wasn't as pop as the Fuji's, like her solo album. And then this felt even like a step less yeah. pop to me. Yeah, Is sure. That right? I know what you say. So, well, I would say that her. I would actually say that her album was very pop because um, Fuji's are quite dark. A lot uh-huh. of their stuff is quite okay. dark. Interesting. Um, uh, Wycliffe Sean's got a. He's got dark a dark side. side. They just, I, I, maybe that's just. I think that when I listen to like chord progressions, uh-huh. so for example, if I listen to the Fugees, they might use a lot more minor chord progressions or samples that sound darker to me. Okay. Whereas if you look at um, the Miseducation, I obviously there's doo wop that thing which is really poppy and that's uh-huh. really that's a sixties throwback thing, um, and there's a lot there's love songs on there and it's really diverse okay but then mtv 2.0 unplugged is um she she calls herself like a hip-hop folk singer which is exactly what she is there these there's anthems on there and there's a lot of like religious lyrics and it's very spiritual and at the also okay so you tell me what you think you why apart from music oh well that's what i was going to say i I thought felt like she was somebody who was an artist in transition at the time and she was finding herself like out of something that had been bigger than her that people kind of expected that was her and this was her almost like coming out and going no 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 no. this is exactly who i am Mm. this is what i want to be and this is and as it's proved kind of who she decided she wanted to be forever because there was a time where she could have been the biggest star in the world i mean she almost was the biggest you know female star at least in the world and particularly in hip-hop and stuff and she kind of went you know what like she almost had the opposite to the the, she must have passed the black eyed peas in the corridor sometime (laughs) because they used to be the cool folky hip-hop back who decided bugger it we'll just be the crazy come on lady lumps babes what we need guys is uh some fur coats so we're gonna just write crazy crazy frog songs now and she kind of went the opposite direction that is Tell it. me what it was about that you liked. It was uh, exactly that. I uh, so 
this exp- this sort of expansed into I don't know if expansed is the word. No, expanded. Is expanded? No. What are you talking about? Tell me what you're trying to say, and then we'll find a word for it. It it like occurred in all art that I was listening to that I really saw it. People in transition, people who had had some kind of awakening, okay. people that had been jolted out of a situation and, and gone into something else. Right. I remember watching a film called Safe that um, Julianne Moore was in and she was in an unhappy uh, – she was she kept having these anxiety. Actually, fuck, this is the first time I've ever thought about this. This was before I'd stopped drinking mm-hmm. while I was still in a relationship that I was unhappy in um, and I watched this movie – and basically she became more and more anxious and she felt trapped in her own house and then that turned into this almost hypochondria and at the end I was like, oh, is she a hypochondriac? Is that what it was? Because up until the end I really related to her. Right. And what it was is I was trapped in an engagement. Um, I wasn't trapped because I made the choice to be there. Right. But I felt very, very claustrophobic in this relationship and um, it was very, it's still very rare to watch women unhappy in movies, in marriages. It's always the men that are unhappy and go and seek. Not always, but often. Yeah, right. Not all men, Felicity. Not all, hashtag not all men. <laughs> hashtag hashtag uh, not all movie husbands. Yeah, not all, <laughs> not all cinema. I will find, well, actually, yeah. and then I'll post the little link. I can't Here's wait. Here's a movie. I can't wait. Here is a single movie in the history of his <laughs> right. cinema. So, so all your experiences are wrong. All, absolutely, but, in my, and my opinion. But it is interesting what you've said there because – that's kind of, again, when people like talk to me about privilege and it's certainly a thing that only my heightened understanding of has come in the last few years of being acutely aware because I've been able to read a lot of you know, stuff about it is that idea of that just never occurs to me. Yeah. Because I'm a man. Yeah. And so I've never had to think, oh, there is no representation of this of me. Yeah. Because if you're a white man, a white straight man, you got at everything. pretty much every stage there has been a representation of you in As every kind of art, in every kind of art. Right. Like so I had I was a woman in and I was young when I met him. I was 18 and we were together for 8 years. Mm. And uh, so all my formative stuff was done with someone else and we made decisions together. And the last couple of years I sort of got this, you know, this feeling of is it me? Is it him? Is it us? Is this normal? Right. Is this how it's meant to be? Is this how it's meant to be? Because that, you know. Because you don't know. Parents are unhappy. Right? So so maybe I'm supposed to be unhappy, but sure. I was in my mid-twenties. So I'm like, am I supposed to be this unhappy this I mean, young? it feels like I could have put this off for a few years. It, it I mean, really if it's compulsory to become this unhappy, can then maybe I delay I'll just, it a bit? Yeah. Yeah. I might just be happy for a bit first. Yeah. I mean, I guess this was where we're ending up. but <laughs> I don't want to fast forward if that's okay. So then I watched, I remember watching that movie, Safe, and Julianne Moore. She, the opening scene is like her having an, a party at her nice house. And she goes, I've just got to go to the bathroom. And she goes into the bathroom and has a panic attack. And it has only just occurred to me as we are talking that I had not been diagnosed with anxiety before. And right. I didn't realize that that is why I was relating to her. Right. <laughs> Going, oh, yeah, I have those. Um, and so there was that, and there's also another film called Little Children, which is f- really dark. Kate Winslet is in it, but she is a mother of a four-year-old, and she's married to this really straighty 180 guy, and she's really unhappy. And I remember watching that, going, "Oh my god, this is at least at least someone else has had this experience before." And not to say that I'm going to follow what they say. Anyway, I ended up leaving that guy, and I ended up moving back in with my mum, and I stopped drinking, and. It was actually when I met my next boyfriend and he introduced me to that album. But I had stopped uh, – I'd stopped performing. 
I was a tour manager for Heath Franklin. Oh. I was his production and tour manager for two years. I did not know you did two years behind the scenes. Yeah. Is that right? So after doing Sketch together and we had a TV show, um, I didn't know what I was at the end of that because I wasn't an actor. I couldn't get an agent. And comic actor isn't really a job that you can make anything in Australia. And Chris McDonald, who has a production company called Laughing Stock, who produces my shows, said, do you want to be a production manager because we don't have one and I need another set of hands on tour? And I'm like, all right. And funnily enough, that's actually my what I went to do in TAFE was a, a certificate for in music business skills. Oh. And I put on concerts when I was younger. I was like a promoter when I was younger. And so I was like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. So for two years I was kind of in the wilderness where I wasn't drinking and I was single and I didn't really know what I was. And then I heard that album and it was just as I met this next fella. And how, when she talks in between tracks – it was just like she was speaking to me. Like I, I was like, yes, I want to get free. I want to be free of these chains, you know, the bondage of self. And so I sort of, um, I, I suppose I did stand up six, eight months after that for the first time. And not to say that was the catalyst, but that was all part of the change, I suppose, or the transition. Well, and that brings us to the question I think this podcast is really about. Do you think women can be funny? Yeah. No. <laughs> Not on this podcast. And where do you get your ideas? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Well, that's amazing. So philosophy-wise, do you actually have one? Is there something that you kind of carry with you? Like, I am one of those horrific people that believes that everything happens for a reason. Okay. uh, Which is a very difficult difficult philosophy to maintain sometimes. And what do you mean by that when you say that? Because, like, there's a difference between that idea of determinism, that, like, everything that happens is meant to happen – I think that's different to what you're saying, that everything happens for a reason. Am I right? Yeah. I. The example that I use is that after I um, – I sort of I, – I talk about drinking and not drinking because um, they're different people. When I was drinking, I was a different person to who I am now. Or maybe other people wouldn't say that, but it really feels like a different life to me. I, I, I remember it, but I really consider this the life that I want to be in, like the, the sober life. And um, when I was about three or four years sober, um, I w- that's when my anxiety got the worst. And I was, and that's when I got diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder and evolving depression. And ironically, which I just erased, I didn't, I didn't know that I'd been diagnosed with depression until last year. I was cleaning out my storage unit and found my um, diagnosis, and it had evolving depression on there. I'm like. I don't remember that at all. So I've just been telling people that I had anxiety when actually I had depression as well. Wow. And apparently early onset Alzheimer's. Yeah, that's right. Well, I actually went to the doctors in the lead up to getting diagnosed with anxiety because I thought that I had Alzheimer's because I kept telling my partner at the time the same things over and over again. Mm -hmm. And it's actually just a side effect of anxiety that when your your brain shuts down to use its sort of most imperative parts. And so short term memory is like, this is unnecessary for you to survive. Okay, so uh, this is a really interesting area to me, and uh, talk about it as much or as little as you feel comfortable. But I talk about everything. Uh, so, when did you first in your life feel like you uh, that an- anxiety came into your life? Like, I mean, because obviously you've just told us that you didn't know what it was, no but idea. it had been there, obviously. I or thought had it? Yes, that I th- everyone. I lived on a knife edge. Right. I thought that everyone experienced that. I thought that everyone felt 
on edge most of the time. And I can, I can literally remember a day in high school where I felt really calm and I kept telling everyone about it. I'm like, I just feel really calm today. And it was like, and it's only in retrospect or hindsight rather that I realise it's because I never felt calm because that was never something that I'd experienced. Right. But I was always really hyperactive. I was always attention seeking. So I don't know. And I, uh, you know, I sort of danced with depression on and off in really small doses. Again, this is only something that I can see now that I've been through it and I understand what it is. Well, the hard thing is also when you're young, it's hard to know what's what. Yeah. Like, and I think that's why people on the outside don't understand it either because what is the difference, like, you know, if you're a parent, say, who's not paying enough attention between a teenager has de- depression really or just, like, your kid's, like, chubby and has acne like I did and yeah. was a bit depressed about it. Yeah. I mean, they're different things, but I can imagine from the outside it would be harder to differentiate those things. Uh, yeah, and um, I will get back to that point just in a second because when I got diagnosed with anxiety and depression – I was so angry. I was angry at um, this faith that I have. I'm not religious, but uh-huh. I'm spiritual. Uh-huh. I use the word God with a very small G, uh-huh. and it is of no religion at all. But basically, uh, my uh, understanding of the world is that I am not the biggest spiritual force. Whether that be science, whether that be the the universe, I don't know what it is, but it's not me. I'm like classic agnostic. Right. So when I got diagnosed with anxiety, I was so angry at the universe, at God, whatever it is, I'm like, this is bullshit. I've done my time. Like I've, I did what you asked. I stopped drinking. I live a good life. I'm kind to people. I work really hard at, you know, at, at, at doing, at service and doing things for other people. And I was, it was really like, this isn't fair. Yeah, it's not fair. Real tantrum stuff. And then at the end of 2013, so this was three and a half years later, I got an email from my manager's saying the ABC are looking to make this documentary um, based on this Oxford study that comedians display high levels of psychotic personality traits. They're thinking about pitching it as a documentary. Would you be interested in presenting that? Right. I'm like, yeah, that. I mean, that sounds incredible. And then they said, it's Christmas, so we won't hear for months. And so at the end of January, they said, they're only just back, so we won't hear for months. And then a week later, actually, when I was staying in your apartment uh-huh. in LA uh-huh. – uh, I got an email saying it's going ahead. We start filming in five weeks when you're back in Australia. So, and then I got to make this extraordinary documentary. Um, I don't know if the documentary was extraordinary, but that's the experience that I had. And then from that, we were writing stand up for the doco. And from that came this show that I'm doing now. And it just poured out of me and it gave me new purpose to my life, to my stand up, to everything. So, this mental illness that I was so angry about three and a half years later turns into a documentary and a legacy that I have now for the rest of my life. Oh, yeah. Who would have known that mental illness was going to get really hot? Yeah, Become I know. a career opportunity. I know, mate. I am tapping in. Uh, my anxiety's <laughs> really opened some doors for me, to be honest. <laughs> now, I'm worried about what's behind those doors. Yeah, but... <laughs> no. <laughs> but I'll look at it. I'll look at it. It might be another show. So, I mean, so when you say, you know, that things happen for a reason, what you're, I guess, in a way saying is that, you know, you're trying to, and I do this with my, you know, with my, with my chronic pain in my hips mm. of just going, well, it is a thing that is part of me and I am mostly happy with how I am in my life. So all these things, you know, you, if you took away one thing, you never know how you are going to end up now. But is that more about self-acceptance or is it more about the yeah. idea of, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's about self-acceptance and because I'm a fighter, I like I, I 
my natural instinct is to fight and my sense of justice is very, very deep. It's not always accurate, but like the, right. the this is not fair is, is the, the force is very strong within me. Right. And now it, more so for yourself and other people now or like is there still a this is not fair yourself bit of you? Like, oh, of course, yeah. I mean, I guess there is in everyone. I say this all the time. Of course we're selfish. Like the, by the very nature of evolution and animals, you've got to be selfish. I breathe for myself. Mm-hmm. I eat for myself. You know, I guess the closest like someone comes is a mother when they are eating for another person. But realistically, you are by the very nature of being a human being selfish. But... Yeah. But there's a difference between going, this is not fair, you know, the world is against me and, and having that sense of this is not fair on behalf of other people. I have both of those things. Right. Um, and I try to and have been taught to do actions that contradict my feelings to try and undermine my feelings. So if I feel selfish and self-centred, then I've been taught to then go and do something for someone else. Okay. Even if they're the person that is making me feel bad. To make them uh, make them a cup of tea because humility is the only way that I will be happy and acceptance is the only way that I'll be happy. <coughs> did it take you uh, a long time to learn that, or did still you still doing it? Yeah, still learning it. Mate. It's an ongoing process. Yes. And even though I I know that conceptually, and that when I when I do it, I'm happier, I'm calmer, I flow through life easier. I still go no, I'm taking it back. The interesting thing uh, from my you know, uh, experience of mental illness, um, not personally but within my world, uh, is that despite the fact that you know and name your disease, you know, like you know that you've said Voldemort out loud, it doesn't necessarily always still help because the disease itself can sometimes be so powerful that you almost forget those things. Is that a, yeah. a, a true ex- experience or...? This time last year, I had I went through three or four months of depression and literally had no idea that it was happening. Right. I didn't recognize any of the symptoms. And I talk about this in my show, um, that this is like after making a documentary, I've seen therapists um, and uh, I speak to people about mental illness all the time and mental health all the time and had no idea that the problem was me. I, and I couldn't believe how st- – you feel stupid because you feel I, – I don't know if I can speak for other people here. Well, speak for yourself. That's fine. When I get well, I go, oh, I've solved it. Right. I still go, oh, that's it. Yeah. I won't get it ever now again. Now that, high five. Yep. See you later, depression. Look, it's been great. Yeah. I'm glad that I had the experience with you. But Thanks I'm, for getting me that TV doco. But, uh, super appreciate it, mate. Got to go solo, mate. Soup's preach. You know what? Heaps of people. You can go There's and, lots of other people on. that want to make a documentary. Come on, you mate. go out there. Seriously. Sow yeah. your seed. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so that must be that? a surprise. Like, I mean, as in literally a surprise, but also... How do you deal with that idea of going, well, I thought I have all these techniques and I have these ideas and stuff and then it still sneaks up on me like that? Yeah, it's just sad and it's kind of shameful and you you feel, I feel ashamed when it comes back that I'm not operating as a perfect person, um, which is ridiculous. It's the same, that would be the same as you being upset that you can't sprint the same way as, right. like that. that's literally what it is, that I go, oh no, I can't 
I can't travel as much as other people or I need to get more sleep tonight. I mean, I, I say this all the time and it is a theme that comes up a bit on the podcast, but I, one of the real things that I've embraced in my life is the idea that, you know, when cause I reckon I was one of these people too, by the way, I'm a perfectionist. Yeah. The minute you say that's the most arrogant fucking thing to say. And yeah. then people say it as if it means, you know, they just try, but it doesn't because you won't ever be perfect yeah. at anything. So this idea that you're being held back by this like idea or you're feeling bad about the idea that you did not do something perfectly. Like I've seen it around people who have like, I think this can be particularly tricky with, from my external observation with people who have mental illness where something that ordinarily would be fine. You just go, oh, well, this is just life. Mm. Sometimes the modem doesn't work or sometimes, you know, like somebody rips me off at, you know, work or blah, 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 blah. You know, these sort of things happen. But when you're in the midst of that, when you kind of, you know, your dark passenger is there, then you don't process that it's in the same fault. way. Right. It's your fault and it's something you And you're born. terrible. Yeah. And that you're worthless and that you're... Yeah. So, you know, when you just said you'll never be perfect. Yeah. I was 30... 31 when I realised that. Mm. I am not even joking. I remember someone said, I'm not perfect. And in my head I'm like, heard it. And then they said, and I never will be. And it was at that moment that I realised that I would never be perfect. Right. That I genuinely understood that. That sounds so dumb. But I was like, there will be a day. It'll come. And I'll say, hey, everybody, if you need me, I'm at the finishing line. I've got everything. I've sorted it. I've thought my way out of it and I'm here if you need me to tell you how I did it. I think my arthritis in my uh, <laughs> hips really gave me that one early where I woke up one day and like I just realised, oh, this is how I feel <sighs> now and it's going to get progressively worse and then one day I'm just going to lay down and die. I am definitely on the downhill slope and it's kind of, there's a part of you that goes, oh, right, well, my body's never getting better, my eyesight's never getting better, yeah. my hearing's never getting better. Like, Strangely, this is the best that I've seen you. You look really, really well. I put on some weight. That's you look what great. It is. Yeah, I look a bit better when I put on some Same. weight but it's not good for my hips. So I have oh, this real really? balance where people think I look better because I, I and then but I actually hurts more because I'm carrying around more oh, on my hips. So God, it's like what a, an awful <laughs> fucking ambivalent life. Life's not fair. Oh, I'm so angry for you. I'm like, but he's a good guy. Will does lots of things for other people. He's selfless. It's no universe. Yeah. We need to have another discussion. Well, the interesting thing about like uh, you know having an experience, a window into any of these worlds, and uh, and I'd love to hear your thoughts from doing your documentary. For me, I've had an insight into the world of chronic pain, mm. and uh, a lot of crossover, by the way, with right. mental health and oh, chronic pain. So three million Australians experience chronic pain, what they would consider chronic pain. Uh, three which million. Is three million, right? So already you're like, oh, that's crazy. It's like a sixth. And uh, that's uh, to a lot of people who then can't sleep, you know, are grumpy at work or whatever because of their chronic pain, but they are very, very susceptible to depression. Like yes. when I was first, like, and I guess because I'm also a comedian, when I was like, oh, okay, now you've got chronic pain and you're a comedian, uh, you're probably going to get depression. And I was like, no, 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 it's fine. I'm I'm Will Anderson, I'm mate. Will Anderson, mate. I've got some chronic in my home that'll fix that right up. So <laughs> I've been to my You doc mean Dr. Dre. I've been to Dr. Dre. I did not forget about him <laughs> and he gave me a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he's a very good doctor. No, he's a good doctor. Um, yeah, so from your experience of doing uh, the, the documentary, uh, what were the insights that you got into the the world, you know, like, in the same way as my eyes were opened up a little bit to how many people are suffering from things, 
What, what, were, what were the things that you learnt through that process? There was an interview that we did with someone who d- it didn't make the documentary. Basically, they did just a shout-out through the Facebook. So it was unsolicited. It wasn't through any organisation. And we, I interviewed a woman who was diagnosed with, uh, I think, bipolar when she was 14. And then as she got older, she was, uh, was institutionalised a number of times. And then um, she was realised when she was 21 that she was misdiagnosed. She's a multi-suicide survivor, right. suicide attempt survivor. Uh-huh. And uh, just watching someone who had been failed by the system. And then, and what happened was because it's, a, you know, government funded ABC, well, it's an ABC documentary. Um, there's a code of conduct, there's language that we're allowed to use and not allowed to use. And she wanted to say mental institutions and the correct term now is mental health facilities. And they said um, that, you know, what the phrases that we're using is mental health facility. And she said, but it's an institution. I right. was institutionalised. That was not a mental health facility. And she was really upset and angry, which she absolutely had the right to be. And I, I haven't had that experience and that side of it. So I suppose it was... Um, that is, you know, the tip of the iceberg of what people are looking at. I must admit that I've been in the public health system with uh, some people who have, you know, needed it very quickly to do with mental health issues. And the, the overwhelming feeling that I was left with was how inadequate our approach to mental health in this country is. And we're a country that, you know, is probably trying a bit harder than a lot of the countries yeah. in the world. And, and it's still terrible. Like, I mean, the amount of times you went in there and people just really, you know, weren't consulted. And if they were consulted, then people, you know, sent them away with some pills or arrest or wanted to institutionalize them one way or the other where chances are they were somewhere way between those two things, you yeah. know. So I... Uh, went to I live in London and when I went when I was depressed last year I did you think it was just because you lived in London well it was winter <laughs> it was winter yeah. and part because of that, the weather can affect it right though as well that is true right in November sunset is at 4 30 yeah it's black at 4 30 and you have no idea the impact that has on top of having maybe 10 days in a row of gray low clouds not a crack of sun yeah and I didn't know the impact that that would have on me. And I was also coming off the back of seven months of touring. I was exhausted. I didn't know that I was exhausted. Um, there was a, there's a whole bunch of things. Basically, I said to my partner that I would go and see the doctor. And how they do it over there is you go and see a doctor and they say, I think that you are depressed. Um, and then you get referred to this organisation called IAPT which is the Improved Access to Psychological Treatment, which is an initiative that started 13, 14 years ago. And then you have a phone appointment with them and then you get interviewed by a nurse for half an hour. You speak to them for half an hour, ask all of these questions. She then confirms with, uh, confers with the people at IAPT. They decide what the best treatment is for you and they said that cognitive behavioural therapy was. So you get between 12 and 20 sessions and I got those for free. Right. All of that wow. was for free. All of it. And then last, about a month ago, or maybe even three weeks ago, I went to Perth and I was uh, talking at the Western Australian Mental Health Conference. And I was, um, the night before I was actually at a uni um, because they'd had someone um, take their own life the year before. So they wanted someone to talk to the first years to explain what anxiety is, what depression is, how it's different to feeling sad and nervous, um, but also the benefits of how you, blah, 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 blah. 
And then I said, if there's anyone in here who's experiencing any of these things for more than two or three weeks, get to a doctor, like get to a doctor, see someone as quickly as you can. And then I started talking about CBT and went, oh, but you have to pay for it. Right. And I just, and the next day when I was talking about it on the, in the conference, it was like this panel discussion of the value of humor in um, mental health. And I just started crying. I'm like, there's fucking, there's 20 year olds that cannot afford to not kill themselves. Like they right. can't go and see someone. That's insane. I mean, like, pardon the pun, but that's insane. Right. That's absolutely balmy. Yep. That if you can't afford to see a psychologist or a psychotherapist or a cognitive behavioral therapist, you can, you can get to kill yourself. That's, right. all, they, that's your options. That's a, and that's if you can afford to see the doctor in the first place because you get your rebate. So you have to pay. What is it still that you got to pay sixty bucks and you get like thirty eight dollars back yep. to see a GP? Yeah, I mean there are some places that would bulk bill and stuff, but yeah. the truth of it is, and probably on a university campus, they'd have access to some of those things. Some of them, but some, and that's the truth of it. And and certainly with some of these things, it's not as simple as going to someone once. Like if if I have like you know, the, here we go. Here's a big revelation for the podcast. <laughs> the one time I went to the uni doctor, when it turns out I had my one uh, STI of all time. Well, crabs. Congratulations. Does crabs count as an STI? I, I bet think it so. does, right? I think so. Yeah. So I got crabs at university, oh, and I had I'm to go to the uni you. doctor. I know. Look, I was proud of me. I was like, you know what? It's been a lean year. I'll take the, I'll take the crabs. <laughs> you know. <laughs> the worst thing I could have. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. So I think I've done pretty well, like in yeah. my life, for that to be the worst. But at the time, it was pretty humiliating. Yeah. But the point is, she gave me some shampoo, and we were done. Right. Yeah. Whereas if I have a, a mental health issue, sometimes, like you said, you might need to go and see someone twenty times or thirty times. Oh no, and a so, minimum. A right. minimum. So we have a system in place here where you might be able to go to someone once or twice for free or for not much money, but but then it all just goes away. Under the mental health plan, you get uh, 10 sessions. And when I went through the mental health plan, it was 10 sessions at half price. That's still $60 a session at half price to see a therapist. That's a lot of money for a lot of people. Well, particularly when, like, there is no... There's not necessarily an immediate, like, change... Right? No, like trauma. It's a, like it's, trauma. Childhood trauma. You don't solve that in 10 sessions. You don't unpack that. You have to build up a trust with someone that you've never met before that you're going to tell them about some abuse that happened in your past right. or a horrific car accident that you've never spoken about where everyone that you love died. Like you don't unpack that stuff in 10 sessions and solve it. And some weeks it's going to be harder than others yeah. to get there and stuff. So you don't need anything to disincentivize you from going, I and guess. And there is no incentive for us to go. Right. There is no incentive in Australia because I'm, I'm all right. I, I, you know, even when I was waitressing, I made okay money and I could afford to go and see a doctor. But if I'm a single mum that lives in the bush with a couple of kids – how do I get how do I get my kids to the doctor's surgery? Right. Where do I find $60 in the first place? Even with the rebate, then how do I get to a Medicare office to get that $38 back? You're just not going to go. That's before I see so, like Right. 
Absolutely not. And I think our suicide rate in Australia is higher than the UK. And I do not doubt that that has something to do with it. Well, I mean, I grew up in the country and the suicide rate is particularly high in the country. Um, uh, farmers have mm-hmm. a, a massive rate of like uh, suicide. Uh, men in particular, like in the country, massive men, rate of... full stop. Yeah. Do you want to know a fact? Okay. I love facts. There's only five countries in the world, in the world, where women have a higher rate of suicide than men. Only five. What uh, do you know? What the countries are? I think they're all in Asia. Right. I think. I'm. Oh. I mean, I know in Pakistan a, is one. I think. I know in Australia, up to the age of fifty-five, pretty much, if you're a man, like top three causes of death yep. always include suicide. Yep. Twenty-five. Like it's 40. only until you get to like you know really full-on cardiac arrests and strokes and stuff as you get older that suicide slips down again. But it doesn't go away. Yep. And when you get older again, it comes back again. Yep. Because older, older people tend to kill themselves as well. We spend so much money, and this is the thing about the money. People are like, well, where are we going to find this money for the doctors? We are willing to spend so much money on the military. We are spend, willing to spend so much money on terrorism. Again, this is not to downplay the effect of terrorism, but you're getting two or three people killed a year in our country from terrorism and you'll spend all this extra money yet like you're getting that many people when it comes to domestic violence that many people when it comes to suicide two things that we can actually put money into that would save lives this is my show this year my show is called 50 percent more likely to die my new edinburgh show oh and uh because i'm an upbeat lady um (laughs) but i've i'm reading this book and well i've read this book and Essentially, what it costs to treat people for free in the UK, if everyone who had a diagnosis um, of anxiety or depression was treated with CBT, had access to those facilities, it would cost, I think, I think it's £900 per person for everything from woe to go, from doctors to um, consultations. I to, mean, literally, they could call the program from woe to go. They really are from woe <laughs> to go. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, very good. good. You should brand. be a comedian. Good branding. Good branding. <laughs> um, it, it's, I think it's $900. And within, because of, once you get treatment, the chances of, like the, um, the possibility of you working, employment rates go up, social benefits, health benefits, all of that, you make it back in two years. And then you start making money. So economically, it makes no sense for us not to be solving this problem. And this is where my little conspiracy theorist comes out because I'm like, I don't think it benefits if we mo- benefits as, uh, rich people and the government if we mobilise poor people. Because if we mobilise them, what will they do? I mean, I, I think that's a fair point. I don't even think that is a conspiracy theory. The system itself naturally does that. Like it reinforces privilege at the top of the system. Yeah. And like that's what things like passing on inherited wealth do. That's what things, simple things that people wouldn't understand that are reinforcing these things in the system. But a private health system, mm-hmm. which means that, you know, rich people always get access to the best medical. And by the way, when I say rich... I mean people including myself. Yeah. Like I am technically, you know, like yeah. I, I pay the top, ta- top tax bracket. It makes me like compared to the rest of the world even rich. Mm. But then there's the super, super rich. But the system itself, they send their kids to the best schools. You make the best connections. You have the best health care. You have the best possibilities in life to be healthy and to best have options. the best jobs and the best opportunities. And if you have kids that are sick, I mean, this is like when they were going to bring in the $7, you know, co-payment here oh, in mate. Australia. Well, it wouldn't stop one middle-class person taking their sick kid to the doctor. No. But it will stop somebody who can't afford $7. They'll go, oh, well, that cough's probably just a cough. It's probably not a whooping cough. Yeah. And well, I guess we'll just find out by well, the end of the week. You know? It's do I take my kid to the doctor or do we get food? Right. 
If you have to choose, you go, I actually reckon she's got through it before. She'll get through it again. I'll just ask a friend for some of their medicine or, you know, like people don't realise that uh, – Obviously, but the truth, plenty of people do. Yeah, they do realise. And But there's people that don't realise that people are making that choice yes. out there. But the effect on the economy, this idea, and I think this is a good way to look at it because this is the one language that those people do actually yep. do understand, which is economics. It right? makes money. If you invest in mental health, you make money for your country. Right. It is, it is flawless. But also, uh, say, like things that are intangibles. I think about this when I work, walk around America, right? Is so how... And again, this is not for me. This, I'm not trying to like mock the people who are at the butt of this. I want to make the point. Uh, they're homeless there are scarier than here. You know, often you've got ex-army people, people Lots with severe mental health issues, and they can, and, you know, really just, and you, everywhere you go, mm-hmm. everywhere you go, there's homeless people. On, on the bill, on the pure... On the pure sort of angle of if you're a rich, comfortable person, that you don't want to see that, that you want to feel safe walking down the street, that you, like, even if you have no care for that person, surely don't you care enough for the society you live in that you'd rather have that person being treated and looked after than being out there on the street? You know, I mean, I know that's a, I, I don't feel like that, but I think even like in that position. I think, again, you're, put, you're projecting too much compassion on the people who are who are these rich people? But so, I don't think they even need compassion. I think they need to go. I'm rich. I'd prefer not to have to walk past a homeless guy on the way to my house. But they don't think that giving them health is the way out of that. Uh, that okay. happened recently in San Francisco. They have an enormous homeless population mm. there, and one of the that is one of the places I got heckled by. I'll tell you this before we get to the thing. I was walking past like some, I was going for a walk in San Fran, and this group of homeless people were over like just doing a thing together. And I looked over just for a second, like, but on a walk, you know. Yeah. I've got my headphones on. I'm on walk. I'm not staring or anything. But a glance, a glance. But obviously, as I glance, like one guy was obviously waiting for me to glance, and this is what he yelled at me. It was the best. He goes, "You'll be back here in three years." Shit. And I was like, "What do you know?" Oh god. <laughs> Maybe there is a god, and he's in that park. Oh my god. Was there um, a little bit like ha ha ha? Ooh. Yeah. I was like, oh well, I guess if I'm going to be homeless anywhere, San Fran's like pretty warm. I mean, it's a tech hub. It is a tech hub. <laughs> That's where the letter came from. So someone wrote an open letter to a newspaper in San Francisco uh-huh. saying, "We pay our taxes. We shouldn't have to walk past that." Right. That's how. That's what they they say. They don't want to walk past it, but they don't go give these people care, they go, get them out of my city. And these are people that have moved into the city that have not lived there their whole lives, Uh whereas these homeless people probably have lived there their whole whole lives. Yeah, I guess I've, like, identified the the asshole bit, but I thought that that would lead to a nice solution, which it doesn't. No, it doesn't. And, you know, in America especially, there's still that that thing where you have to, uh, the belief that if you work hard enough, then you will get everything you need, and that's not how society is structured. Right. But it's so weird that like, I mean, health's the one that I never understand because it's not your fault. There's nothing you can do about it. Right. I mean, like, yes, there are some things that can be, but in general, health is a thing that all of us, you know, know, we break things, we get diseases. Everyone dies. Everyone dies. Everyone. That's the end game. End game. Everyone dies. Right. And we don't stand over people at, like as they're about to die going, well, this is all your fault. Yep. I told you I in told 1979. You. you get leukemia? Yep. What? 
I'm eight. That's brutal. <laughs> That's horrible. You're a horrible person. Oh, well, it's your own fault, USA. Vote Trump. <laughs> <laughs> Give me back my Barney doll. Let me die in peace. That was dark, sorry. Yeah, it's but it is... Okay, yeah, all right. Um, tell me what... I, oh, I guess what I really want to ask, and it's a, I guess it's a hard question to ask, but... Um, do you do you worry sometimes like that? I don't know. It does talking about it make it better or worse? I guess that's the question I'm asking. For me or for others? I mean, I I don't ask you to speak for others. I I think only you can only really speak for yourself. Yeah. But what what do you think? Like for you, has it been helpful to you to be able to talk about these things, or do you yeah. sometimes think, oh God, now all my stuff is out there on the public record, and every time I go to an interview, someone's going to bring this up and they're going to talk to me about I it? I love and... talking about it. Okay. I absolutely love talking about it. And someone asked me, aren't you? Are you worried that you'll be there like the anxiety person? I'm like, I am the I am an anxiety person. So right. of course, this is what I remember is when I had been diagnosed and I remember speaking to someone else uh, who is in our community and I said, oh, I've just been diagnosed with anxiety and they said, oh, I've got that and I cannot tell you and then and someone else also said that and I felt betrayed that they hadn't been talking about it. Right. I know that that's a very childish feeling and a childish response. I know that now uh-huh. but at the time I'm like, I felt so alone. Right. I felt like I felt so weird and alone and isolated and are just different to everyone and that everyone else was just getting on with their job. Everyone else was just being comedians and doing their job and having fun and making jokes and and I had no idea that other people were struggling and it made me angry because I thought we could have been doing this together and instead we've all been sitting in silence. Oh, well, you should have listened to uh, REM and you would have found out that uh, everybody, everybody hurts. hurts. <laughs> Either, Sometimes. Either, <laughs> I thought you going to say uh, yeah. John Farrell's the other voice. <laughs> either way. We're not going to sit in silence. And we're not going to live in fear. We're not going to do. Ooh. We're not going to. Either of them. Ooh. Uh, Where'd it go? Yeah, I can understand why people keep that stuff private. Now I can, absolutely. Yep. But that is why I talk about it. It's not why. I also love talking. Right. I talk about it because mm. I am one of the people that can talk about it. Uh-huh. And I know that there's other people that can't, that are fucking dying. And... Um, that's that's what I love the most about doing my show is that I know that there are very few places that the mentally ill can laugh at what they have. You, we get spoke it gets spoken about a lot in papers, and there's a lot of awareness and break the stigma, and that feels like bullshit to me. Like we're aware, we're totally aware. Right. I'm I'm sorry if someone doesn't under like there's more important issues than awareness, like suicide and I- death. I also agree. I agree with that. And I guess that brought me on to the next thing I wanted to ask you anyway, which is, I think we've got to awareness. You know, we're aware. We, yeah. yeah, we get, you know, beyond blue and it's talked about all the time and, you know, all these sort of things. But I think what we do a lot is go, if you are suffering from this thing, here are some things that you can do. Yeah. But what we haven't really done, and I find this frustrating myself, is often for, we haven't told everybody else what yep. they should be doing. And it's one in four, one in five. Right. Like it's not uncommon. It's not like... Every now and again, you might run into someone with a mental illness. Right. Probably every day you speak to someone that has a mental illness of of varying, varying qualities um, uh, or degrees of it. And the the Are You Okay Day, that's where I always write on Facebook then. That's when I say it's Are You Okay Day. 
If someone says no, here are some things that you can say to them. No, I'm sorry. That day's tomorrow. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> no, oh, right. no, we'd have to. No. Oh, yeah. the, today is Are You OK Day. Yeah. Uh, Tuesday of this week is Would You Like a Cup of Tea Day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wednesday is Can I Recommend Some People? <laughs> <laughs> they should have a week. No, but what are the next things? That's. I mean, that's the interesting thing to me. If somebody says, no, I'm not OK, what would you recommend? What do you say in that situation? Uh, if you're ready to have a conversation about it, you can say why, what's going on for you. If you want to, and say if you want to talk about it, is everything all right? And then if they tell you, they don't want a solution. They just want to. I want. A, I don't want a solution. Right. I just want to be listened to. I want someone to say, "That's shit, mate. That's really shit." Uh, so, and again, you're speaking for yourself, and I don't expect you to speak for anybody yep. else, but. In a situation where you might be saying something that you is actually unreasonable, is, do you think the best thing for another person to do is to like just in the moment kind of acknowledge how you feel about that and about your you know pain or your idea of what that is in the moment, rather than trying to bring any sort of like rationality into? Because, like you said, you're not looking for a solution. Is it best to just comfort in that situation? What have you found for you? It's best to just offer comfort in that situation. So do you do you mean if um, you were if saying I'm, if I'm having an unreasonable reaction right, to so, a problem? Uh, yeah. So, so this, for this example, happened. you say so and so. Yeah. Okay. Or you, you may have an example. You can tell me. So I d- went to co-host a radio show on Thursday, uh-huh. and I went in, and I wasn't travelling so well mentally. Uh-huh. And on the screen, they had some quotes, and I said, "Oh, what are these from?" And he said, what I've been doing is with comedians is I've been pulling quotes from their reviews and we discuss those at the top of the show. And my eyes have bulged out of my head and I said, I don't read reviews no. at all. And I said, if they're from past festivals, I read those, but nothing from the current one. And he said, I'll just check. And his screen is linked to my screen and pulls up my Herald Sun review, which is three and a half stars. Right. So I, on top of having a couple of shows that didn't go as well as the week before and that I hadn't, be, I hadn't been swimming as much as I needed to um, and I hadn't spoken to my boyfriend for a couple of days. That was just enough for me to – I just it, – it, sometimes when you're not travelling well, those little things are like an ankle tap at high right. speed. Right, You know, like if someone ankle tapped me and I was walking, I just go, oh. Yeah. But when you're running, that sends you flying and face into the ground. And so I was speaking to my manager the next morning. He was texting me and um, – He's saying, you know, it's just a review, blah, blah, blah. And I said, I know it's just a review, this and this and this and this. And he said, yeah, but it's – and he kept trying – and I went, I know that I'm hypersensitive to this. I'm not travelling very well today. And then he said, have you been for a swim? So he he knows now what tools help me and I have enough trust where he can make suggestions. Um, but also it's it's nice when I've told comedians that where they go, What? Who would do that? I mean, it's the worst. It's the worst. It's the worst. I mean, because firstly, it's the comedian's right not to read reviews. In fact, I think a lot of people have a very healthy relationship with not reading reviews during a festival. Mm -hmm. And I I certainly, I have a policy where I don't read them when I'm putting the show together. Once Mm -hmm. the show's done, I'm always interested to see what people have to say. I don't really mind. Anyway, five stars in the age, four and a half in there or something. Not a big deal. deal. Anyway, read both of those over and over and over again. They're laminated. But... (laughs) No, but no, my point of that is that uh, 
it's one person's opinion and you have the right to like to do your show by not you know yeah. and so for someone else to bring that sort of shit up which and it's in, like and they're never doing it for fun they're never doing it to go oh well anyway this person said you were the best person in the entire world let's but talk about no, that no no it was he was he was going to pick out like there were sort of nice things there was one thing that was not that nice um, that I read straight in. I focused on mm-hmm. that one. I remember no other words of on course. the screen apart from stagey, go fuck yourself. <laughs> and, oh, what, because it's on a stage and I put a lighting change. Anyway, I... You saw a show that was a bit stagey? Anyway. <laughs> give it to the universe. Give it to the universe. It's one person's opinion. But this is by far my most personal show. Right. Um, I did another show that was very personal about four years ago. Um, and that was uh, that had a similar thing. So when I've got people criticizing how I put together my mental illness sure. for other people that have mental illness, I am hypersensitive to that. I am aware that I'm hypersensitive to that. Um, so is there a danger in like making your work so personal that you take uh, work criticism personally? I mean, I think stand-ups are like, by our very nature, really, really bad at taking criticism and feedback. And because I think, and I think the reason is possibly because, um, you know, our work is ourselves. Yeah. As opposed to an actor who can stand up there and people can go, well, I, I think you're a great actor, but I hated that the show. The words were terrible. Right. When you basically, when you say you didn't like a comedian show, basically there's a little bit of the comedian that says, okay, well, you don't like me. Yeah, because it's not just, it's not even my words. It's my words, it's my ideas, and then it's what I think is funny. Right. It's my funny interpretation of my own words and my own thoughts and ideas. That's so personal. That's so personal as it is. So then to talk about mental health um, and my experience with it, the show is the show has become for people who have mental illness, uh, so they get to they get to laugh. And for people who don't have mental illness, this is a very easy beginner's level entry to understanding uh, one experience where you could go. Oh, I know someone that does that. Is that why they do it? Right. Maybe. It's it's not exclusive. It's not um, people that have been along to the show that don't have it have said, I understand a little bit more now because of the way that you said this and this and this or whatever. So it's it's accessible. Um, so going way back to your question then, I someone tried to – I told someone that, uh, the review thing and the, and the shows and – he just, everything I said, he tried to go, yeah, but you're a great performer. I'm like, yeah, but it feels, because what you do when you offer a solution is you ignore the person's feelings uh-huh. and they are riddled with feelings. That's all they are at that point is feelings that they are trying to manage or control or disappear or whatever. So you invalidate their feelings essentially. Whereas if I say, I'm just having the worst day, even if nothing's gone wrong, I, that's what depression is. You feel bad even when good things are happening. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the difference between being depressed and having depression mm. is that idea of like it's it's natural for everyone to at some stage when something sad happens, be sad about that. Yeah. Like I, I remember years ago that I wrote an article when I was writing for the newspaper about going to see uh, a, a therapist about the fact that I was uh, – I wasn't depressed. I wasn't suffering depression, but I was sad. I was going through a bad time in my life mm. where I had gone through a major relationship breakdown and I hated the people that I worked with. And that, that was pretty much the majority of my life is, was the people I worked with and that... And the absence. Right. Of- so I needed to get through that period. But that's what it was. It was just that period in my mm. life. 
And then because I'd written about it, like later people kind of tried to ask me about what it was like to be like you to suffer from depression. And I just had to say to people, I said, I, I, I don't. And I haven't suffered from depression. Like I got depressed at a sad thing. Mm. Like I was sad, you know, when, sad my, for a while. Sad when my nana died. Yeah. You know, but, but you know, I didn't have depression. And it, it, it for me to speak on behalf of people who do feels disingenuous to me, like, you know. Um, but I think as somebody who was around it, both in a professional sense and uh, just in my personal life, you know, as, like you said, one in four. Who isn't? Like mm. everybody probably listening to this podcast either is someone who suffers from mental illness or, or know knows someone very directly yeah. who suffers from mental illness. And so I think that's the next level of understanding we kind of have to get to now is where in the same way as like, you know, when uh, – I mean this is probably a terrible example, but I'm just trying to think of other illnesses that we've – the way that we've integrated um, – uh, uh, sort of disabled, I guess, people into the workforce, making sure that people, you know, are able to, you know, have like yeah, access, you know, in the offices and those sort of things so that people can have the best opportunity to do their work. When you can see the the illness or the disease or whatever it is, I think, but when it's invisible, it's harder for... It's very hard to empathise. Having said that, I mean... Disabled people experience horrific amounts of di- like completely different. I mean, what? Uh, and it's a it's a horror. It's not it's not a great analogy either. But I'm just I trying to what think you're of to say, that. Yeah. You know, you wouldn't go into a workplace now where they wouldn't have like uh, you know a disabled toilet that they wouldn't mm. you know have ramps that it wouldn't be accessible for wheelchairs. I mean, you know what it's like. We do comedy, and you want to make sure that you know you don't perform in venues that aren't yeah. accessible for people who you know. Ha- for one reason or another, you know, need that sort of thing. and But I don't think that we have the same level of awareness in an office situation than we – I mean, how the fuck would I know? I don't work in an office. Yeah, but I, never have. I'm guessing. I don't know what an office is. It's I mostly got it from the TV show The Office. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's I, – I mean, I – there was a, a, a thing that I said in the doco that I dream of the day that people can take sick leave saying I've just got depression right. and – but I'll be back in tomorrow but I need to take today off. And they go, cool. It's interesting to me that um, uh, I think Buddy Franklin, do you know who that is? Mm-hmm. Lance Franklin, the AFL footballer. Mm-hmm. Um, he missed finals last year because of his depression. And they they told people that's what it was, yeah. you know. And and he's come back and he's you know playing well again. But it was – he's really said, I'm glad I spoke about it and that's what I had. And I just remember a time watching football where – that just never would have happened. Never. The idea that a champion footballer who could who didn't have a hamstring injury... He would have you know, killed himself. Right. 20 years ago, he probably would have killed himself. Right. And I'm sure that that's still happening today in other parts of Australia. But that's... Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it does feel like it's changing. It just feels like at the moment... I mean, mental health in itself is such a hard thing to, to treat because it is, does seem to be a very imperfect thing to treat. Yes. Like it feels like there is, I mean, at least with a broken leg, you know, they know how to... They've got a procedure for yeah, that now. And you can actually, at the end of it, have yeah. your leg fixed, whereas there is no similar sort of thing for mental health. Yeah. Right? Is that And it's right? really personal. Uh, I feel like I've asked a lot of terrible questions today, but no. the reason I have asked them is because I don't, I no. don't really even know how to say what I'm trying to ask you. Yeah. There's no, there's no standard procedure for any particular disease even. So if one person have a, has anxiety, some t- treatments might really work for them. And this is getting back to that university thing where you said, you know, there's a counsellor on university campuses. One, what if it's a terrible counsellor? Right. Two, what if it's a good counsellor 
but you don't have a connection with them. Uh-huh. Then because you, that's the truth as well. Like what's good for one person can be terrible for the next person. You've got to build up a trust with right. someone. You have to tell someone all of the shit that's going on in your head so that they can help you. And if you don't trust the other person to say that, and if you're someone with mental illness who has ignored their illness for a very long time, you're really good at acting. Right. You're really good at pretending you're fine. You're really good at not showing people what's going on for you. I mean, it, it seeps out in other ways. Sure. It's not a healthy way to deal with it and it's visible in other in other ways. But, um, yeah, there's there's no one way to treat all of these all of these things and they've uh, the the IAPT program has suffered because of that well it's suffered because of funding cuts what a surprise um that different areas have different levels of success because different amounts of funding mean different levels of training can be distributed and administered to existing therapists so people are going to get CBT and they're getting treated by a therapist who has not been trained in CBT. So they're kind of just winging it. You're like, but you're not trained to give that treatment. Anyway. Yeah, very interesting. All yeah. right. Um, let's have a little pause because okay. I feel like, uh, you know, we've talked about that now. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about some other stuff before we finish. So um, let's have a little pause. I'll change the batteries, which right. they've lasted very well. I said about 20 minutes. And What are we in? This, well, we've just done an hour. And have we? Yeah, we've done oh an my hour. God. That's why I said we'll have a little break and then we'll... Uh, I talk so much. No, it's good. I'm glad. You've asked both the best questions and had the best answers of the podcast. Oh, stop. So <laughs> you're really nailing it today. Uh, but I uh, will just pause for a second. Uh, so we were having a great conversation off air. We did our own little <laughs> podcast, but it was a secret podcast because names were mentioned. That's right. So <laughs> now we can come back and talk in a more general sense. But we we got onto the topic of bloody chicks in comedy, mate. Bloody, bloody with their pusses and their boobs. Always, well, so now just do uh, 45 minutes of your jokes about menstruating because yeah, that's got, what all women do, I've all women comedians. period material. I have no period material, I don't think. I mean, do you have any like uh, jokes that are from a different time period that you could <laughs> – Some joke? of my jokes are dated if that's oh, what you mean. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I, I read that review, right? Yeah. Oh, hang on, what? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, funny for a second, yeah. but then hurt. Oh, boo. <laughs> um, but we, uh, you sent around a list I was telling you that I – enjoyed very much and it was an article that somebody had written about well can you explain it you'll probably explain it better than I could explain it it was kind of just a list uh, of here's a handy list of 32 things that men can do if you're interested in feminism right so lots of men will say that they're feminists and yep. then go out and do actively unfeminist things yeah and p.s something that happened was uh it was a friend of my it was Stuart Goldsmith who posted it um, who is a UK comedian. He has a podcast called uh, Comedian's Comedian Podcast. It's a brilliant uh, podcast. I think you've been interviewed on I have. Habits. I did a live version actually at Soho Theatre. It was oh. really brilliant fun. He's and great, isn't he? you know what? There's so many comedians around the, around the world who listen to that as well. I got feedback, like just on a couple of points. You know when you say something that is just your perspective, but there's someone somewhere who just connected with that idea. And I got random messages from comedians who I've never met who obviously listen to that podcast who are just like, hey, you know that thing you said that, that's really changed the way I look. And I was like, oh, wow, this is a powerful podcast. I got someone uh, sent me a tweet maybe a week ago and I did that interview three and a half years ago. Maybe it was three years ago. It was three years ago. It was at the at Comedy Festival in Melbourne. Anyway, so he posted um, this list and I thought, I'll have a read of that. And underneath someone wrote, it was a man, wrote, oh, the, the list is too long. It's 32 points. If you want men to listen, you've got to make it 10. 
I could, and I, I wrote underneath, uh, is someone going to point out that this is a handy list of ways men can get involved in feminism and the first thing you did was let women know how they should express themselves? Well, how they could make it easy for men. Yeah, or how just trying to control how we put information across. Uh, uh, well, originally in the Bible, a lot of people don't know this, but Noah, uh, sorry, um, who went up the... Who, who <laughs> Moses? Got the, Moses. Moses' wife went up the first time. She had and 32. there was 32 commandments, but they were like, fuck, you got to trim that down. Gosh, she goes Moses on, doesn't is ne- she? Moses is never going to listen to more than 10. Exactly. He's a man. He's got a short attention span. Dumb this shit down. Yeah. I mean, it's disrespectful to men as well. Absolutely. And that's the thing that if you are interested in this topic and you read about this topic, and I certainly don't expect to... Because here's the thing. I would have always said that I was a feminist, but I'm less I'm less confident and more hesitant to use that term now because of the things that I've read, like in this very regard. So what, the way I'd like to probably maybe express it at the moment is that I would like to act in a way that is like that I would think is feminist, but it's my responsibility to learn what that actually means. Mm-hmm. Like it's like I can't say I'm a vegetarian and eat fish. Sure, you should just learn what a vegetarian is. Sure, you're not quite that yet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Right? You're getting there, yeah. and we will welcome you in the And your intentions are good, yeah. right? But that doesn't mean that you But you, you haven't gone the whole way yet. Yeah. And, but, and I think that's great. And I don't think it's women's responsibility to tell me that I'm being a bad feminist. It's my responsibility to seek out stuff and like get the understanding of what it would mean to be a good feminist and then try to do those things the best that I can do. I don't think that it's like, you know, women shouldn't have to dumb it down for me. Yeah. I should go out there and like learn to have an understanding or an empathy or an understanding of the, the whole issue. And I would like to think that I'm very early on understanding that. But this list in particular I th- was something I just felt was really, really helpful. Just covered some good stuff, just uh, some good practical stuff. Like that's the, the, the greatest thing about it was, I was just telling you about a practical example for me was, it said um, consume as much, uh, you know, female art and, you know, music and whatever as you do male art and then, you know, kind of talk about that. And it's such a little thing. But I always plug uh, a female act at the end of my show at the festival, but I probably also plug two or three Men as well, because I'm plugging a bunch of shows mm-hmm. and disproportionately this industry is made up of men rather than the women in the same way as like when I do, you know, TOFOP or FOFOP, they are still mostly men, not women nearly enough yet because just of the nature of the industry in some ways. I, so two things, I've come to an understanding that firstly, that's not good enough, like that it's not enough to just maintain the status quo, right? Yeah. You actually have to go out of your way yeah, to, you might need to do something that right. you don't usually do. You yeah, can't it, just think you want women to be better right. and that's you doing a part. Well, I can't, Or I can't just say, well, it's just easier to get men because there's heaps more men that I know yeah. who are – it is. So, it's heaps, so it's make, heaps it's easier heaps for easier. me. <laughs> I could get heaps right. of men. But actually having said that, the other night I was plugging shows at the end of mine and I think I plugged four and three of them were women. But that wasn't me going, I should probably say some – I, what you know the the shows that I keep hearing about are Zoe Coombs, Mars, right. Dave. Yeah, I've heard that's amazing. I saw her. She last... is playing a man though. So yes, I but... mean, is that really plugging a woman? Yes, it's a it woman is. playing a male character. Ooh, so when you see this, I oh feel like she's dumbed that down for men. Yeah, she probably <laughs> she's the ten point equivalent. I saw her show in Soho. I don't know if it was the end of last year. It's one of the best comedy shows I've ever seen. Yeah, ever. She's, ever. she's one of those people that every time you've seen someone who's discovered it yeah and i haven't seen it like oh. I've, I've not seen it i'd love to oh, and I, I want to um but i've spoken to so many people who come out of it almost with this religious fervor to tell people about how good she is oh mate i went nuts yeah. there was a lot of social media afterwards right with 
with no sense of feminism right. at all. Just like, oh, my God. Her and Bridget Everett, everyone's comes oh, well, out of she's the, sh- the best. People come out like looking at the ground going, I mean. Yeah, it's an experience. Yeah. I like, I mean, she's a ama- We met in Canada, I think, and she's just an absolute force of nature. She's yeah. a delight. Um, but the thing that it said in it was like the thing that resonated with me was go and cons- like don't if you want to talk about two or three shows by women at the festival, then go and see six and pick the three that you like the most yeah. and be talking about them because you love it as much as you loved Zoe's show or you love it as much. And so there's an extra responsibility to go, well, that means I'm going to have to find some time around my shows. I'm going to have to put a little schedule together. Yeah, you and, might be mildly uncomfortable right. or inconvenienced. I might see some stuff that's shit. Yeah. You might I miss haven't out so on... Far, but I, I might. Yeah, that could happen. I, I'm still early on the list. There's... <laughs> I've made some safeish choices so yeah, far. Sure, I sure. did see Judith and Celia's show. I was going to so. say, yeah, yeah. You got You can hedge your bets. You can hedge your bets a little bit. That's fine. But uh, uh, Melbourne is actually one of the better festivals for it. There's yeah. so much good stand-up by women here that happens to be women and good shows that happen to be women. Really, really good stuff. Yeah, I don't think our industry is the worst. Uh, comedically, yeah. I mean, like, you know, in regard to it being an, an open house for, you know, people of all perspectives, I think comedy has been better than a lot of other places, but still, you know, has a fair way to go. Yeah. I've seen it in the 20 years that I've done comedy. Yeah, of like, I mean, it's really uh, this festival alone, you know, to see the amount of amazing women who are at this festival now. That are the you know, top batters too. Well, that's it. I mean, it's not like, you know, oh, there's like, you know, hey, we've got three or four. Good... We've got a lot. No, it's no. Like they're... And they're the ones selling out venues and festivals and, you know, headlining TV shows and, you know, being the best act on at the galas and all those yeah. sort of things. Of I course. Did, I did a, a – uh, I came back to Australia in November and – I mean, to be honest, they're being a bit good. Can we was, slow down on them? Come on, ladies. It's all right. Just back to the period Get stuff. a bit of harassment then, you know. <laughs> Keep them in their place. Yeah. I Just em- dumb it down. MC- I emceed this gig and it was a fundraiser, no surprises there, and it was all women on the bill. Uh-huh. This was the bill though. This is the bill that I can remember. Judith Lucy, Hannah Gadsby. Should call it the Jill, by the way. Just let's really even it up. I mean, the, Bill the is a very, I mean, it's a man's name, isn't it? And that's it? why you get five stars in there. <laughs> that's why you get five stars. Um, when I said it was a bit stagey. So... <laughs> On the Jill, there was <laughs> Judith Lucy, Kitty Flanagan, Hannah Gadsby, Celia Pacola, Geraldine Hickey, Tegan Higginbotham. There's like two other people I think that I'm forgetting and and me. Right. And I came out at the beginning and I said, you're about to see one of the best comedy lineups in Australia. Right. Not best women, no. best comedy lineups. Like imagine if you had Judith Lucy, Kitty Flanagan, Hannah Gadsby, Celia Pacola, Geraldine Hickey, like on the same bill. What I'm basically telling you is no one can afford that. No one that's can afford like, that. That's only a fundraiser yep. or a gala bill. Yep. It was just – and people were hysterical. Like by the, by the break, we needed a break because people were hysterical. People were almost on their feet in the middle of sets. It was just, it was electric. You know when you're a part of one of those shows where you're like, I don't know what's going on here, but it's something magical. That's what it felt like all night. Yeah, it's brilliant. So uh, let's talk about some of the other things on the list then. What were the things that stood out for you when you read the list? Because for me, I mean, this was a list for me. You know, Mm. this was a list for people like me who want some more practical tips. I mean, it would be great if there was one of these 35 
point lists for the questions I was trying to ask you about mental illness, you know. I'd be like, oh, cool, I'll just do that. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. so I see more shows by mentally ill people. Oh, right. that's fine. I Support can do that. Them. Well, that's a good way because then you give them money and they can afford their health bills. So. I mean, that's a good point. There you go. Yeah, can I get? A, can I claim this, actually? This Circle feels like... Of love. I'm going to put this on my booper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get a deduction on your private health insurance. Yeah, if, you, if you're in the right bracket, you get to see three shows yeah, by people yeah. who have illnesses of some kind during <laughs> the year. Deductible. Yeah, you can um, see. Look, you can see Adam Hills once every two years. Yeah, that's it part of the disability count. benefit. It does not count. Yeah, yeah it's part of the disability benefit. <laughs> <laughs> I should point out, we both know Adam very, very well. Oh no, it's fine. It's he okay. Does. I think that I he mean, has a disability. Yes, I mean he has one foot. It's, it's not a secret. No. Like he, he talks about it on stage. He, he does has the a, Terminator. The Terminator. He did it on my television show. It's really great. <laughs> um, so the two that yes, really stuck please. out for me were um, if you have a problem with drugs or alcohol and the, if, you, if you have a problem around women when you are on drugs or alcohol, yep. don't drink or take drugs. It was so, that, that to me, it's one of those things that seems so obvious once you say it out loud. Yeah. But I just thought that was such a great practical piece of advice. Yeah. Like for people because we all know those people who aren't, Terrible people, but if they get drinks into them or if they get drugs into them, kind of become terrible people. Yeah, they're unpredictable. And our attitude, and I think I'd go a step like further, you know, in this list, I'm adding extras. That guy's going to be so mad. Oh, my God, 33, can we handle it? But I think the thing is, and it, look, I actually, it kind of was touched on in another point on the list, which is that idea of like not, like not condoning something by just letting it go by. Yeah. And you say this like with racist jokes, with homophobic jokes, with any of those things, like men in particular, even good people who would consider themselves good men, who would not consider themselves racist, most homophobic or whatever. Most people consider themselves good men. Right. I think most men consider themselves good men. Even rapists. I really do think that there's lots of people who – I say rapists as – because the image of a rapist is someone who repeatedly rapes someone and is depraved when sure. often – it's someone who has raped their partner. Right. That's a rapist because yeah. they've raped before. Right. I think that they would probably, lots of them would consider themselves good men. Right. And in that particular situation, there was some grey area for them. It got out of control, but they would not call themselves a rapist. Okay. Well, let's even go a step back from those people, though. And I totally acknowledge mm. what you're saying. I think that's probably absolutely 100% correct. But let's go a step back further from that. People who would, their mates. Right? Yeah. That yeah. guy who, like, gets a bit, like, you know, touchy-feely with, like, women as, like, you know. Where you the- give him the soft pat on the shoulder going, come right. on, mate. Right. Come on, mate. And I think that there's, like, we have a – it's so hard because you don't – no one wants to be that person. No one wants to be the narc. No one wants to be – but I do think that we actually have a broader responsibility to – you know, if a guy is saying really sexist things all the time, to go, hey, mate, you know, like, if you don't believe that, then just go, hey, I don't think this is an appropriate thing for you to say. Or, you know, hey, you know what? That's fucked, bro. Mate, you've had too much to drink and you're making a disgrace of yourself. I'm your friend and I'm telling this as your friend. You've got to step away from this situation. You can't be here. Yep. Because shit's, this is not a good area for you. You're making other people uncomfortable. Right. You have to use words that are, because everyone wants to skirt around it. Right. If you skirt around it, then someone who is not sure whether they're behaving badly or not, their brain will skirt around it as well and go, right. oh, it's not that bad. If you say you're making people feel uncomfortable, they will be offended in the short term, but they'll probably stop what they're doing. Do you know what I mean? Right. Just even the difference of language. Um, 
it's uh, we it's so tricky it's so tricky uh so something else that I liked on the list and I've had this before is if uh I think this is originally what I can't remember if it was the same author a woman was explaining to her boyfriend her boyfriend considered himself a feminist they were at a bus stop right and this drunk guy came up to her and started talking to her and she just started talking back and he got sort of closer and closer and even the presence of another man didn't stop her from uh, him from approaching her and they got on the bus and the boyfriend was angry at her for indulging it and he said you should have just ignored it and he said and that's when her brain snapped and went you have no idea because what that just did is it diffused a situation so when I talk to a drunk man on the street that stops him from going up a level into aggression going why aren't you speaking to me what are you fucking too fucking good for me and that I have never read it explained I've never seen it explained so well before of why I talk to someone at night on the street when I'm by myself it's a it's a safety mechanism because you've had to be in that situation so many times that you naturally you know come up with a way with of and that's the thing of, of why people have got and again this is not to uh, victim blame it's to acknowledge how it is and I can now see how it is or how it's been permitted which is that idea of like women almost get used to like coming up with methods to put up with some of it to diffuse what could be the end situation which is like you know absolute violence i mean yeah you know i i'm not the first person to make this observation and people have made it a lot funnier than me including louis ck who has a very good bit on it uh there's probably a female comedian who also has a good bit on it. <laughs> no. Oh, no i will tell you in a second but um the idea that we're really women's greatest enemy yeah like i mean we you know that, that you share the world with somebody who could kill you at any time yeah and that over hum and and that is not to that is not to say that is all men. I don't want to go into that not all men territory because, of course, it's not. But, Obviously, but, it's not. But to women... Statistically, though. But to women, also, you don't know which ones it's going to be. No, you don't, they don't so, wear a, a hat. Right. They don't like, oh, I'm one of those. You're like, oh, I can avoid you then. But I, I remember um, years ago when uh, Jill Maher um, yep. was raped and murdered. Yes. and Here in Melbourne. Here in Melbourne. And we were terrified because then it was there was another backpacker who actually escaped him. Yep. And I remember a friend of mine putting up on Facebook, girls, just look after yourselves, like stay safe. And women fucking kicked off. Right. Because we have been safe since we are nine. Sure. Every woman I know, this is – so every woman I know – um, is taught you walk in the middle of the road if it's night time if you've got to go home you walk in a masculine fashion you have your keys in between your fingers so you can stab them uh-huh. I carry a pen so I have a pen if I've got a long coat I'll carry a pen in between my fingers so I can use that as a weapon do on, that all on, the time on a phone to your friend and stuff like that on in- the phone to your friend we know everything yeah. we've been doing it that is not stopping anything from happening right. and I read this I can't even believe how much of a revelation it was to me. Maybe it was a Reddit thread or something. But someone went, because they were talking about the word curfew got thrown around. And this person went, yeah, men should have a curfew. Right. And that had never occurred to me that the curfew should go on the supposed 
or alleged or potential attacker, not the victim. Well, I mean, Jackie Lambie said uh, when the recent terrorist thing happened in Brussels, mm-hmm. Jackie Lambie from the in the Australian Parliament, she said that we should round up the 190 Muslims who are on our watch list and just lock them all up because, you know, like, you know, Muslims are that, so we have to lock up our Muslims. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's what really we're saying. I mean, if it was men out there raping people, mm-hmm. you're like, okay, well, we'll just lock up all men. All men. Because that's... At the moment, that's what it is. But if you said, if I reckon if you floated the idea of a female curfew, I reckon there would be a national consensus that that wasn't a bad idea. Well, during a time like that, I imagine you could get that idea off I the ground. I reckon you could get it off the because ground. Because people's instinctive idea is, like, even if they're people who understand the broader social ramification of what you're saying, their immediate thing is like, there is a dangerous person outside and he is targeting women women beware right yeah. i don't think that there i'm sure there are plenty of people who said that with the greatest of intentions you Absolutely. know they, did, they didn't think that they stay, were stay safe girls right no you stay indoors right. and you tell your mates to stay indoors i'm going shopping i'm going to have dinner i'm going to read a book in the park right you're not allowed to go to parks at night anymore Men are not allowed to go to parks in the night because I want to walk right. through there. Because those men have spoiled it for all You've other men. You've spoiled it for everyone. Yeah. It's like at the, when the teacher says, you're not going till you're all quiet. Right. And one of them starts talking. Well, all of you are punished. Sorry. I'm sorry. You spoiled it for everybody. Because that's what happens to us. They're right. like, well, she was wearing this. So the rest of you aren't allowed to wear that. Otherwise, you also deserved it. Like, we get tarred with the same brush all of the time. I mean, that's the craziest one of all. No, but but, but people do say that. Like, I I mean, that's the thing that, like, you wish it was crazy. I know. Like, that argument to me is so insane because that implies, if you logically extend that argument, that you do believe there is an outfit in which someone deserves to be raped. How come? Like, if you just say that, so what is the the exact rape costume? This is my question. How come more rapes don't happen on the beach then? Right. Everyone's People in bikinis. They're, I mean, they're in undies and bras. Right. Made of lycra. Oh, yeah. I mean, because it's not about that. It's and it's not never about, about that. that. And even if it were about that, even if the person was literally naked there in your room and they say, no, thank you. That's no thank you. That's no thank you. That like, is, you do not come any closer. So it that. doesn't matter, like, mm-hmm. what they're fucking wearing. Yep. What was the rapist wearing? Let's lock up everyone who's got a balaclava on. Yeah, that's right. Anyway, they don't hell will have balaclavas. That actually goes back to the t-shirts. yeah, exactly. Some um, of them are living in your house. <laughs> lots of them. Yeah. Um, my favorite one was if a woman says something is sexist, believe her. That was my favorite one. On and it's the, the most list. confronting of all, I think. Yes. Because, and that's what these you know we've joked about it a little bit, and I've talked about it before on the podcast. But the the yes, the you know the well actually people you know yeah. the well here's one example. I of think some- what actually happened. Was right. What you're not seeing is yeah, that's my because if you- oh come on, he was just trying to be friendly. He was just trying to be friendly, and I'm not saying that I'm not guilty of that. I reckon I've been guilty of that. Right. Where people go, oh, I was a bit sexist. I'm like. Isn't sexist or was you just being shit? Like, I mean, by the way, just because sometimes things aren't sexist, like there's overreaches in every aspect of society. Mm-hmm. Not everything's racist. Not everything's homophobic. And Tom Ballard and I were talking about this on the podcast recently about the way that, you know, 
somebody in, in public could tell a joke about something, but if another comedian told it about him or his sexual, it would be in a different context and he would take it in a different way. Mm-hmm. This idea that there is a black on white on any of these things, sometimes it isn't sexism. Mm. Sometimes a person's a dick. Sometimes it isn't homophobia. Sometimes a person's a dick. But here's what we've tended to learn from all these things is that most of the time, it is the thing. Yeah. And so the natural position is. And much in the same way with, if you watch Law & Order SVU, you'd think that every second person uh, faked a rape. Like, yeah. But the, the statistics in the world 2%. are that, like, and it's lower than most other crimes. And so if we believe, you know, the court process through that, yes, of course, everyone gets the presumption of innocence, but you've also got to understand that, like, most of the fucking time when this happens, it's true. The ones that are being reported. Yeah, right. Because it's, I, I mean, it's, I, I don't want to make up a percentage. I'm not going to. No, I'm not gonna, but, but it's, it's, but really it's about low. starting with believing. Yes, yeah, start Whereas with believing. Whereas we've started at this position where we don't believe. Yeah, because it's so much easier. I understand. I understand that it's easier to not believe a woman that something is sexist. I really do. Because you're like, but that means I've got to change the way I think. Right. That means I have to empathise with you. That right. might means that might mean that I've been responsible for something in the past. Right. That might mean that I need to change the way I behave. I understand that that is frustrating, exhausting and annoying. I think the past one, that's the one that you've really stumbled upon there that I think is so overwhelming for people to it's change. Painful. I think it's with everything. Like, you know, if you've been somebody who's been homophobic in the past, even though you maybe aren't anymore... But if gay people are then allowed to get married, then maybe you have to confront the thing that you had to... Like, I think sometimes people don't want to progress because their past weighs them down so much that they don't think they can become a... I think I find it with Australia Day and conversations about Indigenous yeah. people in this country. Like, the idea that there was a fuss, like, last week it'll be when people hear this, but, like, this Invasion. week... About like University of New South Wales, which is the university, uh, just saying that people should probably just acknowledge what happened in Australia, which was that it was invaded. That's not a that's not a controversial thing to say. That's not a point of view. That's just a fucking fact. That's facts. Like it's a fact. Yeah. There was three laws back then. The European law. There was a very simple way that it worked. If you got to a country and uh, there was no one there, you could claim it. You know, dibs essentially was law number one. It was three laws. It was forty-two at the start because a woman came up yeah, with it. But, but then, then they just went, "Fucking James Cook isn't going to remember forty-two laws." She's the only one that can write. But fuck, does she go on? Right. <laughs> So um, the second one was if there were indigenous people in the country, uh, you could rent or like make a treaty or a pact with those people to use some of the country. And the last option was if there were people there, uh, but you wanted it and you couldn't come to a treaty, you had to declare war on that country, right? You would have to have a battle and whoever won would then have to abide by, you know, the treaty of looking after the indigenous people if you conquered them, you know, in that regard. And we did none of those things. We didn't obey the law. They pretended there was no one here. So that they could be number one. But it wasn't. Mm. And then we went on a systematic war, but we didn't... Genocide. A genocide. Yeah, in Tasmania, absolute genocide. So, I mean, the idea that that's even something that's like still... But I think that a lot of the time, the reason people can't move on, the reason they can't... It's like it spoils Australia. It It doesn't. What spoils it is that we're still clinging to the idea. It wasn't us that did it. Like, you know, when people go, oh, it wasn't me. Yeah, yeah. No, it it wasn't. wasn't. But it's... It's if our responsibility to now, acknowledge that's how it happened, right. though. Because hopefully we're better people or who make different decisions now. And yes, it's because of the luxury of what happened. We can't be responsible for that in the way, but we can acknowledge it. Yep. And we can, you know, understand. And we have, don't we have a responsibility just to at least acknowledge the truth? It's so weird. 
I tried to write a joke about it. I did it on in Australia Day in um, the UK. Unfortunately, there was enough Australians getting in there. We're basically, I, I, we we know now what happened. We know, right? And we have Australia Day, and what that means is that we are really happy to say, "That's fucked." I'm so sorry, but we love barbecues. Right. Like we love we love barbecues more than we dislike seeing indigenous people uncomfortable right well I've, i i have a whole bit about it in my show like 10 minutes on australia day and why it shouldn't be australia that's day. why you got five stars mate and i go through the history yeah from the flag mate <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> oh the age gave me a little southern cross oh, a little southern cross <laughs> five years five. Yeah. <laughs> so um they i got uh, the orion's belt <laughs> they they had that um idea of firstly like to celebrate it on such a terrible day. The the only day you can't celebrate it. Right. Is that like that's the one day where you go. I, I say I say in the show I say it's like having your wedding to your new wife and no matter how much you love your new wife on the exact date anniversary that your old wife died yeah. and then not understanding why the kids aren't enjoying the party. Yeah. Like, that's absolutely it. Uh, there's another line but I'll save that for the show. Come to the show. <laughs> uh, anyway. 8:30 comedy theater. Yeah. Uh, so um but I, our history of Australia Day, the, the craziest thing about that is that I researched it for this bit. And the more you know about it, because A, it shouldn't be our oh. Australia Day. Federation Day, January 1st is actually Australia Day. Uh, January 26th is like Sydney Day. You know, nothing happened in Melbourne, Adelaide, Perth, you know, anywhere on that day, right? So there's all that. Botany but, Day. But the best thing is 1935, that's when we started celebrating it. So it's not even that recent. No! 1935. No! But here's the best thing, Felicity. We've only actually celebrated it on Australia Day on January 26th because we used to take the long weekend, so we just celebrate it on whatever Monday was closest, right? We've only celebrated it for 22 years. On It's only been on Australia Day, January 26th, 22 years. We talk about the world's what do you longest survival. What do you mean? Tw- the year Shawshank came out, the year that Friends started, the year that Forrest Gump went on so that run to meet Jenny. Because I'm older than 22. Yeah, we, we used to just have it on the Monday that was closest to the 26th, so we could have the day off. 22 years. I mean, sometimes it would obviously be on the 26th because it fell on the long weekend. But if it didn't, we'd just take the long weekend. Is that why Big Day Out sometimes was on? Right. The 26th and then sometimes... It's been like a Thursday. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. Well, actually, it's been 22 years, so I, I don't know. It, that wouldn't be... I don't Big know. Day Out was but, 1991, I think. Yeah, okay. But yeah, that's an absolute fact. 1994 was the first year that we've gone, well, it'll be on January. So why are we fighting for this tradition that isn't oh. a tradition? I've done the Melbourne Comedy... I'm older than that. I've done the Comedy Festival 21 times. I'm literally one year away from being as traditional as Australia Day. Now, no one can see my eyes, but they are almost bugging out of I my know, head. I know, it's fucking crazy, isn't like, it? That is fucking crazy. It's crazy. I have... And only since 1935 on Jan 26. It's fucking... Cr- it's not even 100 years. That's mental. Mental. Oh, my God. That's so awful. <laughs> I... I was. Uh, by the way, I hope no one's offended by the use of mental. Like that's one of those ones that I'm I've, allowed to say. It, you are, but I'm probably not. I'm reclaiming it. Yeah, um, but that's a weird. I, I do find the language around because there is so much of our language, and I, you know, because I would like to think I'm the sort of person who wouldn't call something gay yeah. to mean. But I say mental, and I say mad, and I say, you know, those sort of things, and I haven't had a hard time, like putting those out of my, you know, vocabulary yeah. in the same way as I have with um, with other words. I'm not sensitive about 
language generally unless you are describing right sa- like if you called someone a loony yeah who was suffering in, from a, some, in an yeah. asylum yeah or was in a like a psychotic state and you're yeah, like, like they're a loony a bit loony yeah what what it's not the 20s yeah we're not doing electroshock therapy anymore um that that kind of stuff where it's clearly about I, I mean, I don't, I personally, I don't care about using mad or mental or crazy. I use it all the time. Yeah. Um, They're so intrinsically woven into our language, those ones. It's mm. a bit harder to get rid of because there's like, what is the exact, what word do I use? In the, if anyone has a suggestion, I would love to hear it, by the way. Of Maybe mental I could, ill health. No, but I mean like for, like, right. you know, the crowd were mental last night. I mean, you could say the crowd were very loud last night, I guess. So you could say excitable. that. Excitable. Yeah, or excitable last night. Or yeah, they, they were going, yeah, the crowd was going mental. Yeah, like, I mean, I guess there's better words. There's yeah. probably better words. Mind you, even hysterical comes from hysteria, which was a. <sighs> Fuck, now I can't even enjoy lead, deaf leopard. I'm sorry. Oh, they you, were hysteria you know with what, a Y. That was You know fine, what right? hysteria was? Uh, tell me. Uh, it was basically they thought that women were – that was their version of uh, women were going insane and the only way they could cure them was uh, by masturbating them. The doctor would masturbate them. No, so that, I did not know I'm, that. I'm pretty sure that was Hang the on. beginning of the vibrator. Came from hysteria. <sighs> really? I'm pretty sure. I mean, that's – I mean, it's a brave person who's floated that theory in the meeting though, right? Yeah. Go on. What, what do you reckon we just – Right. I uh, mean, I, look, this I'm is, not a doctor. Right. But, well, you shouldn't be in this meeting. <laughs> he's like the Goodwill hunting. He's yeah, just yeah. in the corner doing the, like, they come in the next day and he's just drawn like a clitoris <laughs> a, a, and a finger. A massive cock and balls. And everybody looks around and goes, oh my God, this is genius. He's solved it. <laughs> he's solved he's so- it. He's found it. There it is. Goodwilly hunting, starring Good, Matt Damon. Goodwill hunting. <laughs> Better. Can we say that? Uh, not on. Oh, I mean, we can say it on the podcast. Yeah, right. Probably not on the poster of the movie, though. No. <laughs> so I don't think you sell many tickets. Uh, you would online. I feel like you. Yeah. You. you yeah. There'd, there'd be, a, be a market for it. There'd be a three and a half minute version online <laughs> that people could enjoy. Uh, all right, we, sh- we we should start to finish up. So um, start to finish up, that's what I like to say. Yeah. But I, yeah, no, I've got another gig. I better, better start. Uh, there's a couple of things that I just like to ask before we finish up. Now, first one we've kind of touched on anyway, uh, but uh, religion. You, so you said you're spiritual. You're not like specifically religious. Asked to be back to, uh, asked to become a Catholic when I was 11. Uh-huh. So made my parents confirm me. Okay. Because, um, th- But they're not. Dad's Catholic, but. Right. By proxy. Yep, sure. Because it will, you know, Irish Born into family. it. Yeah, born into it. Um, and so I became a Catholic when I was uh, 11. And What was it that appealed to you about Catholicism at 11? Structure. Sure. Structure, order, process, songs, names, water on the forehead, confession, loved it. I had a semi-chaotic upbringing. There's a lot of chaos in my household. Uh-huh. And so that's... You know, I just liked structure. I loved yep. school for that same reason. Sure. We didn't have a Catholic church where we were, where I lived because there was 1,500 people. We had a Christian church, so I used to go to that church and I'd go on a Sunday where they had the cool young band. Uh-huh. Uh, incidentally, my auntie was also going to that church and she's now married to the bass player. 20 years on. Is that right? Yes. Look at that. Got down with a bass player. Yeah, and also yeah. he pulled out of a church band. Yeah, not bad. Like, I mean, that's pretty cool, right? Not bad. Like when you got that gig the first time, you wouldn't be like, this will be good for the ladies. Yeah. But there yeah, you go. It was good for God and the ladies. All right, there we go. And then uh, I I called myself Christian till I was about 25 or 26, but I didn't... Okay, re- that's pretty late though. It's pretty late, but I, I didn't really... It's like I really wanted to be a Christian. Right. 
because I had that I've always had that yearning and that seek like that searching feeling um and then when I sort of had to make a decision about whether I practically believed in the tenets of uh, not the tenets but the stories yeah but the I actual, just don't believe the stories right. like I don't I, I don't believe that you believe there may, I mean, not to put words in your mouth, but like you strike me as somebody who believes that there might be some, you know, greater like purpose or meaning or something, you know, universe life force or whatever, mm. but that the stories in the Bible. Jesus just, might have been a real guy, right. sure. I, I don't know if I believe about the dying and coming back and I, I don't right. know. I don't know, but that doesn't, that doesn't feel like something I could depend on with my life. And I think if you're a Christian, you've got to depend on with, you got to depend on it. Yeah, it's not just enough to go, well, I guess it could have happened, yeah, right? There's some good stories. I mean, it was a long time ago. Yeah, that's right. Shit was different back Chinese then. Chinese whispers, things get misunderstood. Yeah, man. When he said he came back yeah. from the dead, I mean, he was just... He had a really uh, rough just, night. I mean, bit, he looked was, like hell. Mate, it was Easter. It was Easter. He had a fucking big Four weekend. Four-day weekend, mate. Mate, and it fell early that year as the start of the footy season in Bethlehem. I mean, there was shit going on. Mad Monday. It exactly. Was crazy. And he'd done Feb fast, and so he wasn't used to drinking. And his intolerance You was... know what he's like, and the mir- <laughs> suddenly the miracles come out. And <laughs> he's then... sleep, he was just asleep behind the rock. It's like, That's mate, Jesus, was. fucking drink a water. Don't walk on it, mate. And Jesus, if you can't handle your alcohol, then don't be around women when you do it. Just right. don't drink. Well, that's why he had all the male disciples. That's he was right. just like, he's like, I can't be safe around women. Right, and that's why they also they had to nail his hands to the cross. <laughs> <laughs> Come Too on, far. sorry, Christians. Boo. Sorry, Christians. I, and I have, I have, I really genuinely have a lot of respect for religious people. Yeah, sure. And, and for their faith and the way that they live, it's just not for me. That's Some of my favourite people I've had on this podcast have been Christians. Mm. I had Jared McKenna on, who I don't know if you know him, but he works. Yes. You know, yeah, do you know Jared? Yes. Yeah, I don't and know him. Personally, but I don't he's brilliant, about. and like he talked, you know, for, to, for two hours about you know his love of Jesus, and I loved everything he said. Yeah. Like it wasn't, you know, I, I mean, I think if whatever you believe in, here's the thing that I think about human beings is like we work because we work together. Despite the rest of it, the story of human beings has been that eventually everything works because enough of us manage to work together to make yeah. something happen. One of us by ourselves. We're probably never going to change the world. Maybe a random one every now and again. But even those people, you know, had people who wrote their shit down or remembered it or tested it. Like, you know, for every Einstein, there needs to be the next generation of scientists who can go away and, you know, build the machines to work out if what he said was right. Planck, is that his name? I'm reading about uh, physics at the moment. So I have some of the names in my head. Uh, You need... We're all in this, you know, it's always an ongoing story as human beings, you know, and... um, uh, so whatever your philosophy is, if you find something that helps us all work together, mm. like who am I to judge? It's only when it goes to those areas where you suddenly are denying other people their human rights yeah. or threatening their right to be a human being that I have a problem with any of these things. So how do you then move from somebody who like had that? Did you then feel like you had a hole in your life? or No, then I just, then I just decided that my faith, my God, my whatever – can be flexible and malleable. It can change. My definition can change. Uh-huh. Basically, I just understand that I am not the biggest spiritual force on this planet, which I think is a safe bet. I think that's a safe bet that I'm not the biggest spiritual force. I mean, and the other thing is, even if you've one day found out you were, what a fucking hassle. Oh, I mean, I can barely manage my life. It's a lot of responsibility. Can you imagine if you were suddenly like, 
What if you were late to a deity meeting? Fuck, mate. Like, that is a lot of work. Yeah. It's one of those things where you're like, The trams were down and I just couldn't. I'm not going to be able to do next year's festival. I I mean, I'm going to be full-time running the fucking universe. Full-time God. This is bullshit. Yeah. So I I get a lot of... Can't someone else do it? That'd be my (laughs) first day. (laughs) Can I get a support act? Right, yeah. Get an opener? You go and do 10 minutes fucking of the meeting. And how about I'll... the Holy Ghost fucking do something for once? What I the mean. fuck's the, the ghost? Is a lot just of been... coattail riding, mate. Right. A lot of coattails. Hanging around that entourage for yeah. a fucking long time, not carrying any of the fucking weight. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Uh, last but not least, what do you reckon happens when we die? I don't know. I think that our, I think our body's done, like obviously. I think that there's – I think that we – I don't know if we go somewhere else. I don't know, but I don't think that that is totally it for everyone. It might be for some people. I don't know, but I, I just you know when you just I'm 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 sure if you've seen dead people, have you seen a dead body before? Yep, they're just gone. Yep, it's not just that they're it's not just that like that blood isn't pumping through their veins. There's nothing there. Yep, and I feel like that goes. Yeah, it's almost like that person was never. You can't even imagine them being a person. You no, know, it's literally just the physical yeah. form, and I and you realize how little the physical form actually has to go has to do with what you what that person was. Yeah, and how because the whole physical was. form's still there. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, I've never thought about it that way, but you're absolutely right that the the person is nothing to do with the physical form. Ironically, that's all that we focus on right. as a society. But I mean, it's amazing to me when we think about this because I've always been of the opinion, you know, accident in the corner of the universe. You know, live. Get through it, lay down, die, mm-hmm. you know, and then whatever else happens next for everybody else is none of my concern because I'll be dead and I'll have no consciousness and all those sort of things. But um, uh, you were saying that you were reading about physics and stuff. And the, the craziest thing is, and this is why I find it so hard to, like you were saying about, well, maybe that shit happened, right? Mm-hmm. When you read physics, and I have no great understanding of physics, so I have a very pop, you know, kind of attitude to this and a lot of this, this shit that, that. You know, other people have explained to me. But my, my, very limited understanding of like quantum mechanics and you know and and quantum theory and stuff you know firstly that time could be all happening at once so the way that we think about it in this linear fashion is not actually how it exists like so everything we do is existing at the times at different at different altitudes right that's crazy so that's crazy. Like suddenly a burning bush that's doesn't science. look that crazy, right? Suddenly like someone who talks to a bush, you're like, hang on, what, oh you're, ex- you're telling me that like time might not be linear and like all this might be – and there might be like a space whole bunch curves? of different – Space curves? And there's universes that like might be existing at the same fucking – I mean then there's a bit of me that goes, well, maybe, you know, that idea of death – makes less sense in a way of are you being dead dead i totally totally i'm literally reading this book which is for people that don't understand physics Uh um that's what this book is for and i was reading it and i get to the end i I thought it was a book written by four people who don't understand physics (laughs) they just got together and went let's just see if we can work it out what's your opinion yeah all right and yours you know what we'll just work it out between the four of us we'll read some google stuff and then we'll have our best workshop it we'll spitball it it'll be fine we'll get close (laughs) yeah i get to the The end gist of physics (laughs) (laughs) i get to the end of every chapter and it blows my mind so hard i mean this is a 70 page book it's Uh really thin um the the pages are very uh, uh, narrow i can't get through it because i get to the end of every chapter and i have to spend a couple of hours just staring into space going what is this and that's when i think 
of course people believe religion. Sure. That's far easier to understand. Heaps easier. Like I can get, you walked on water, whoa, oh. I know what that looks like. Right. You're telling me that light is made up of packets of finite measurements, but I can't see them, but they're happening. Like I have to, I've got to spend a lot of time digesting that to try and even understand that. It's just, oh my God, it's so amazing. Yeah, it's crazy. So yeah, I, it, the more you learn sometimes, the more you just go. And I can understand why perhaps that's why religious certainty comes with sometimes an anti-science bent. Yeah. Because it's hard to keep those two. It's really amazing sometimes when you see like a Christian scientist or whatever mm. and you're like, so which of them are you yeah. – which of them do you what not you believe backing? fully? Yeah. Because there's no way that you can believe both fully. Yeah. So – which of them are you pulling your punches on? Yeah. This is this is how I see it, that I – you know when Indiana Jones, like, takes his hat off and he flicks it and, like, it, it'll jam the door? Uh-huh. That's what my faith is. I don't want to say that there's nothing there. I just want – I'm just, like, leaving the door a bit open. Okay. Just so – because I reckon it's – no one knows. I mean, th- there's kind of almost two possibilities, that it's all for some reason, everything happens for a reason, or that – everything happens for no reason. Mm. And I guess that you, in some ways I'm a everything happens for no reason. And I hadn't kind of thought about this until we've like talked about this here. Mm. But, you know, you're a real everything happens for a reason and I'm a everything that happens for no reason. And somehow I feel like we agree on so many yeah. things and have so many areas of like similarity and interest. So it's probably instructive that you can get to that same point with from very different perspectives or philosophy. Literally the opposite. Yeah. Literally. Because that idea that this is all for nothing, that everything is for nothing, is the saddest thing that I could think of. Like that almost makes me feel no, sad. I get it. I can understand that. There's this element of like, well, why are we do anything then? Mm. Like if we're I, – I tend to go the opposite with that, which is like – well, if there are no rules, I can create anything. my life and anything. And, you know, I, like, you know, people always ask me, Claire Bowditch asked me on the radio the other day. She goes, yeah, on philosophy, you always, tell, uh, yeah, you always ask people, what's your philosophy? She said, what's yours? And I said, I chose this. And that's the thing that gives me the most power, power in the universe is that I choose every day to best curate my world and my universe and the world that I want to live in and the things that I want to see, like, you know, it's up to me. It's up mm. to me if I want to have a good life or a happy life or mm. a content life. It's up to me to examine if I think I'm a good person or if the value, if the thing I'm striving for is actually something. Like I can't put it through an external prism. Yeah. You know, I can't say, you know, I all I have to do is going for my own reason, how do I want to treat other people? For my own reason, yeah. like what do I want to do with my life? What sort of work do I want to create? What sort of relationships do I want to have with people? What responsibility as a person who, who has a voice do I want to use? How much of that voice do I want to use? Or how much do I want for me? Or, I mean, th- saying all those things, now I'm exhausted and I'm like, I don't know how I got out of bed this You're morning. very tiring. But, but I kind of, I think that's an exciting thing. I yeah. think, you know. And I do, I do too. When you explain it like that, I do too. And I understand it. I, uh, I just don't think that I can do it by myself. All right, that's good. That's a good place to end. I'm happy with that. That was a really good podcast. Good review. Uh, five stars. Five stars from the eight. Five stars. Not stagey at all. Not stagey. Two, uh, almost, almost not stagey enough. But right. oh, five stars. Five stars. Five stars. A masterpiece. A masterpiece. <laughs> 
Nothing better to end a podcast with a callback from a joke people didn't hear because we did it in the break. <laughs> so um, uh, tell people about your show. Is it on for the whole festival? It's on for the whole festival in Melbourne, in Sydney, in Auckland and in Wellington. Oh, okay. That's all good. We, we have listeners in all those places. Great. Tell people what it's called. It's called What If There Is No Toilet and it's about irritable bowel syndrome and mental illness. But I promise you it is a funny show and jokes were the only thing I was concerned about when I was writing it. And uh, do you know when you're doing Sydney and uh, those New Zealand dates? I'm doing Sydney uh, the weekend of, I want to say like the Anzac weekend. I don't know if it's the 24th and the 5th or the 25th and the 26th. That's a giant dwarf. Oh, have you played there before? No, I'm so excited. (sighs) It's the best. I did did my political show there last year and it's just, it was the best. I can't wait. Yeah, you'll love it. And then in Auckland, I don't know the name of the venue that I'm at. Um, and then I don't know where I'm okay. in Wellington. All right, but well, New Zealand, to, you know, Google. New Zealand Comedy Festival, check Sydney your, Comedy Check Festival. it out, you'll find it. You've got Google. Um, uh, my show, Fire at Will, is still on, so if you want to see it in Melbourne, I'm there until the end of the festival, Wednesdays through Sundays. Uh, next week, Sydney Opera House, April 7th, one night only in Sydney uh, this year, uh, unfortunately, just because, it, like, anyway, mm. people don't need to know why. I'm only allowed to do one night in Sydney this year, but it's at the Sydney Opera House in the concert hall. Uh, it is two shows in one night. The first show is almost sold out, but there are still, tickets available to the second show and it's my favourite show I've ever done and I think that you'll probably enjoy it so if you are like like me and you like my comedy then come out and see that that'd be really good and then I am also going to Perth are you at 8.30 in Melbourne? I am at 8.45 8.45 what time are you? yeah 8.30 yeah Yeah. Main Street I'm not going to see you Uh, no no you're not maybe in Sydney yeah All right. Um, okay Uh, you're all great you're great (laughs) I don't know how to finish the podcast I should come up with something but I don't have any the end
Stay for- 